0: skeptical about custom beauty honestly y'all I totally get it my feed is flooded with customized this and personalized that all promising you know to fix all of our beauty hair and skin problems truthfully I was so skeptical when I saw this brand but I'm a total believer now when pro says custom they actually mean it their products are no gimmicks and your formula couldn't exist without you they asked like
1: Yeah.
0: and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas, pros.com slash just This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMulder.
1: And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like disclosing our debt, incompatible sex drives, and feeling like a misfit. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed in any way to do this.
0: Yeah, we're coming up on our second year... our our second anniversary. We've been doing this for almost two years and we still don't know what the fuck we're talking about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so true.
0: Oh God. Um, we are not professionals we're not trained in this uh, we are still learning alongside all of you mm-hmm. what it means um, to be ourselves so please take our advice as you see fit we are just here to offer our humble musings and I mean that <laughs> like, Sam, <laughs> Sam and I might like joke and like feel like we're right at sometimes but then like other times we'll we'll like log off from recording and being like and be like, what the fuck did we just say? Like, I hope that makes sense. I hope we didn't come off as assholes or, 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 oh my God, maybe this advice was wrong. You know, um, mm-hmm. we, we we offer all of this to you guys humbly and gratefully, f- um, for the space that you help us create. So please take our advice as you f- see fit period. That's right. Oh, and the confusing thing about love, blah, 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 blah. You guys. Yeah. know the- <laughs>
1: Um, I often take our advice as I see fit too and often don't follow it so in my own yeah. life I mean <laughs>
0: um yeah confession time I have I have creeped on my ex's Instagram <laughs> can like, you just like publicly scold me because like I there's no reason why I should be doing that Ugh.
1: like recently
0: okay. within the last month oh yeah this is the shame I needed this morning
1: <laughs> this is why
0: why why is a great question, Sam. Why do we do these things that we know we don't authentically want to do? Mm-hmm. Um that was just me trying to be like transparent that like we're not perfect people. <laughs> but but now that I've got my daily dose of shaming, um I'll think of you next time. Um okay, so uh our check-in topic today is um we want to talk about pride. Mm-hmm. And we want to talk about Pride Month and the history of Pride Month and the connection to um, the global conversation that's going on right now. That is uh, d- attempting to dismantle um, the idea of policing and dismantle white supremacy um, or the ongoing dismantling of white supremacy. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Um, happy Pride, everyone. Um Yeah. what, What do you want to say about, can you give us a little history lesson in pride, I guess?
1: Um, yeah. So pride month is a celebration that we all have, um, as a remembrance of the Stonewall riots, which occurred in New York city in, um, 1969, uh, which was when, uh, police went in to raid the Stonewall Inn, um, in New York city and, um, which they had done multiple times before, which was a gay bar that was owned by the mafia. Um, yeah. So the, the police, uh, went in and raided the, the Stonewall Inn because at that point it was, um, illegal to be queer basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and there were a number of, uh, laws on the books, um, specifically, uh, against people who were not dressed in the gender that they were assigned at birth. Right. Mm. And there were laws on the books that you had to wear at least three articles of clothing that matched your, uh, the gender you were assigned at birth. Um, and so people, the police would literally have people take their clothes off and make sure that they were wearing the proper underwear or undergarments, uh, that matched their, their gender assigned at birth. So, um, that happened and people got fed up. Right. And it was literally a riot against the police that started this movement. I mean, the movement had been happening before that, but this was really the galvanizing moment that yeah. that sort of changed the way that people uh, perceived themselves and perceived their rights uh, in this country. And it um, was
0: led by black trans women. That's right. Um, uh,
1: Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera were uh, two, um, you know, I don't think they actually identify as trans. Um, right uh, So I want to be careful with how I say this, but um, folks who, you know, didn't spend a lot of time dressed as the gender they were assigned as birth, um, and they were the ones that really instigated this fight against the police that then lasted multiple days and took over. And was
0: extremely violent.
1: Yeah. And took over, uh, you know, entire city blocks in New York City, um, but really transformed was like a very galvanizing moment for people to to start thinking about um, queer rights and, and queer issues Um, and pride. Then the, the next year in June was the first um, parades. They weren't called pride parades at that point um, in San Francisco and New York city. Right. And, and that is how this celebration that we have come to know as pride began. It began with a riot against the police led by uh, queer women of color. Right. And so it's, um, I think it's important for us to remember that, especially right now when we're looking at another, I think, I hope, galvanizing moment in our Mm -hmm. history to say, like, this is how these types of things get done. Right. This is how
0: Mm.
1: how queer people were able to move into mainstream conversations um, and begin to fight against uh, homophobia, transphobia in a really organized way was because of three days of riots where people were just fed up. We're causing violence and we're saying, we're not going to take this anymore. This is completely unacceptable. Um, And,
0: and I'm glad that you mentioned that this was an ongoing thing too, that, that um, I can't, I would be, I'm afraid I would be wrong if I tried to guess like the dates and cities, but I know that there were multiple other riots leading up to Stonewall. Um, I think particularly in California, um, where there these types of um, violent policing against queer communities were happening everywhere like people you know there's so many still living queer people who said that it it was uh, physically unsafe to be gay um, and and that it was uh prosecutable uh, um, or that you could be violently um, attacked by the police and I think that this is so interesting the intersections of the things that we're saying right now. um, Like some of these sentences could be taken out and spliced into last week's episode about um, police brutality against black bodies and black people um, across our history. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Sam and I particularly wanted to um, draw the connection that has been drawn um, quite a bit the past couple weeks about one, Pride was a riot. Um, And two, um, black trans women are still the, one of the most, um, like their, their lives, their civil liberties are at most threat right now because they Mm -hmm. are the intersection of the two things that America still, still criminalizes. Um, And, and um, so, Sam and I love pride, <laughs> um, but we cannot love pride without accepting pride for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah,
1: no, and I mean, to be honest i'm I'm sort of I'm weirdly thankful for this quarantine that's happening mm-hmm. uh, and the the fact that prides around pride celebrations around the country, uh, including minneapolis's, have been cancelled because it mm-hmm. gives us a chance to. Uh, reflect as opposed to just sort of saying like, Oh yeah, that's important. But also it's really important that I get on that rooftop bar to watch the parade, or Mm -hmm. it's really important that I pick out the perfect outfit, right? This is a time I think that we are being called on to really reflect on the origins of where pride comes from and ask ourselves whether or not the celebrations that we now, that we now have are a reflection of that um, activism. Mm. Um, and I, and I, I like love pride. Like I love going to the parade and I love going to the park and hanging out with folks and, um, going to dance parties. Like I love that aspect of it, but I also think it's really important to ask ourselves, like, is this a reflection of, of what this is about, which is about dismantling systems of, um, of oppression that, that continue mostly to target trans people of color, Mm -hmm. um, and like whether or not Target is really got our back on this one. <laughs> hmm
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, right? Whether or not we are spending more time celebrating the corporations and, and not enough time celebrating the actual um the actual people that we are trying to uh to support and protect.
0: And I think I think something like a c an analogy that I want to pull out from this year's pride is that um Everybody loves Pride, right? <laughs> you know, well, and by that I mean, no. Well, hear me out. <laughs> yeah, okay. That was a that was a terrible generalized statement. <laughs> I meant Pride is now a very heavily um, attended event across the country by all mm-hmm. sorts of people and yep. all sorts of genders and sexuality expressions and um, uh, and so many people love pride. And I think so many people love pride because, um, at least right now in the, in its iteration, it is, it, it is meant to be a message of love, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, oh my God, love conquers all love is love. But what I think people, where I think that fails us is that we forget that love without action is useless mm. and that, um, you know, I've said this before somewhere on this podcast at some point, there's the quote by Pierre Riverdi where he says, there is no love, only proofs of love. Mm-hmm. And I like to think about that, like connecting that to our um, anti-racism mission, right? Connecting that to our ongoing um, attempt at dismantling white supremacy within ourselves, within our loved ones, our circles, and and our and our worlds. If our love for our queer friends, um, for our uh, black friends, for our brown, indigenous people of color communities, for our trans. Um, sisters and brothers and gender non-conforming folks, if that love lives only in our heart, heart uh-huh. or only looks neat and like bumper stickery, like politically correct, you know, political, that's not right. But you know, like if it, if it is only in this nice little clean love is love message, then uh-huh. that love doesn't exist because there's no proof of that love because uh-huh. proof comes from labor and sweat and fight and sacrifice. Uh-huh. Um, so I just want to remind everyone that, like, I get emotional at pride because I love seeing so many people say love is love. We're all here for you. Right. But can we imagine what that would look like for our white supremacist nation to say that for um, uh, for black people, um, for for people of color to say, like, we Love you not just with our hearts, but with our actions, and we're mm-hmm. no longer to tolerate your subjugation, right?
1: For sure. I mean, I think it's really similar to you know there's no not racist, right? I think right. that there's also no not transphobic, right? There's either mm-hmm. you are uh, transphobic or you are vehemently pro-trans, right, right. and you, and I think um, I think what happens is that that love is love message. Tends to minimize difference, right? So right. it's like saying like love is love, or like I'm colorblind, right? I don't yeah. see color. We're all one human family, um, and that really diminishes the realities of folks who who are persecuted because of their perceived difference, right? Right. And saying that you don't see the difference means that you don't take into account the fact that those differences are very real in our society and are the markers by which people achieve success in their lives, right? Just because you want to say, like, oh, all trans people are people. We're all one human family diminishes the fact that trans people are often not treated as human, right? Yeah. That trans people, for example, are now legally able to be discriminated against in accessing healthcare, right? It means that religious hospitals or even jackasses who are just transphobic Mm -hmm. can say, I don't want to... I don't want to treat you. Offer and you
0: life-saving services. Absolutely,
1: and there's absolutely zero repercussions about that. Uh, as of Friday, as of last yeah. Friday, which coincidentally was yes. the anniversary of the Pulse massacre, in which forty-nine uh, Latinx, mostly queer people, were gunned down in a in a bar. So, yeah. Um, I think that <laughs> this it's, is just a. These a are time, connected. Yes, yeah. for sure, and this is just a. I think a time to remind ourselves that this fight is not fucking over. uh, And that this conversation around uh, love is love is love is really makes us feel really good, which is good because sometimes like we need to just feel good right in this, Mm -hmm. but also remember that like, not everyone loves us, right? Even though love is love is love. There are people that are constantly working against us, right?
0: When people, when people say, now is the time to choose love, not fear. Um, that doesn't acknowledge that it is a privilege to be fearless.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure, that's real. Uh, so that was heavy. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. Well, but I don't uh. care <laughs> because, um, well, not that I don't. I I deeply care about our listeners, um, mm-hmm. but I also, uh, but. And I deeply care about what we just said. And I think what's really amazing about our community that we're building, um, and this is a thank you to all of you, is that those things are not mutually exclusive, right? Mm-hmm. That I can be, that we can we can speak on these things that are important to us. Um, and uh, hopefully our Just Break Up com- community knows um, that we're doing that because they matter to us, because we care about them um because we care about the issues and because we care about them right mm-hmm. um we want uh we want all of our listeners to know that they are loved deeply um and intrinsically for who they are um and that we will um continue the fight to make this world um uh, equitable and just for all um and i know that sounds like a fucking hamilton line <laughs> <laughs> But that's what we're fighting for, right? Liberation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. Uh, and the fight is ongoing. And the fight, the fight also, like, uh, sorry to, to end this very clunkily, but like the whole point we wanted to have this conversation is that Pride Month and these happy, beautiful, like love filled Pride um, marches were, were started in the fight and continue the fight and, and must continue the fight, the labor. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. So what is one thing that you did this week to take care of yourself?
0: (laughs) Oh God. Great fucking question. Um, uh, yeah, this week was, uh, challenging for me. Um, because I have my online classes are starting this week and I struggle with a lot of, um, ongoing, um, imposter syndrome when it comes to teaching poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, so all week long, I have been in addition to like the global conversation that's going on and the stuff that's happening in Minneapolis. And, um, I, uh, I've just been combating my own personal anxiety. So I've just been like humming out of seven out of 10, (laughs) you know, like that constant thing. Um, I, what did I do this week? Ugh, I got poison Ivy. <laughs> that is not self-care, but um, no,
1: how I was just trying
0: to like update you about my life. Um, oh, I paid off my fucking credit card debt. Yeah. Yeah. That is a, the ultimate act of self-care. Like fuck <laughs> you, you fucking blood sucking moralist company. I'm sorry. Talk about, let's talk about a rant is <laughs> yeah. credit card companies. God, they're evil. Um, we're going to talk about debt in the first letter. We are. But first, tell me about you. What did you do this week to take care of yourself?
1: Um, I had two instances where I hung out with people Mm -hmm. with appropriate social distance, to be clear. Right, right, right. Outside, six feet apart, around a bonfire for the most part. Um, And I did it twice this week. And both times I was sort of like, "Eh, do I want to do this? Mm. Uh, And both times... I left feeling so fulfilled um, and like seen in ways that I haven't felt fulfilled and seen. Um, And it was really good. And it was a reminder for me to focus on the folks that make when I leave the conversation with them make me feel that way and spend less time focusing on the folks who leave me feeling drained after a conversation with them.
0: Fulfilled and seen. um, I'm so glad you said that because maybe that's like a call out to our listeners to make sure that they remember that this is a marathon. This Mm -hmm. is not a sprint. Um, This are this ongoing quest for liberation um, and uh, justice is it's a marathon and While we all show up in different ways and we have different roles and we have different skills and we have different challenges. um, We all need to be able to take care of ourselves. So Mm -hmm. maybe a call out to our listeners to find something or someone that makes you feel fulfilled and seen. I love Love that, Sam. Okay. Let's get into our first letter.
1: Let's do it.
0: We shall. We're going to do it right now. As soon as I grab the letter. (laughs) Okay. Um. Oh my God! I just got this. I literally just got this. But the this letter writer is from Deb T. Uh, like that. Yeah. Cute. Okay, Deb. I'm gonna call you, Debbie. Um, Debbie is writing to us from the void, and they write, "Hi, Sam and Sierra. First of all, thank you so much for creating this podcast and offering a safe space for your listeners to receive the help and advice that is not always easily accessible." Plus, your podcast is just straight up fun to listen to and it helps me work uh helps my work days go by quicker since I have started working from home during this pandemic. I'm a twenty-four-year-old and I have recently moved in with my boyfriend of almost a year. Prior to moving in, I was living with my parents and trying to get back onto my feet financially. The timing of, of all this worked out really well as I was planning to move out around this time anyway, and my boyfriend was busy buying a house. My boyfriend and I were growing closer uh and our relationship was getting stronger so i really wanted to be a part of this new chapter in his life we've been living together for a few months now and everything has been as good and fine as i expected it would it to would be prior to moving in my boyfriend and i discussed what i would be able to afford afford for rent and he has a pretty good of understanding of my income and financial responsibilities I pay a small amount for rent, but I also help out in ways that I know he appreciates, such as buying groceries, cooking and cooking meals for him every night. I love to cook and it makes me feel good to do this for him as he does a lot for me, like putting a roof over my head and allowing me to live a comfortable life. He makes more money than I do, but we overall have an equally giving relationship. He pays for things for us and for me, but that is because he knows that I will always return the favor I was previously in an emotionally abusive relationship, and I did a ton of inner work in order to have a healthy and happy relationship, such as the one I am in right now. But there is one thing I haven't told him uh, about me that makes me want to vomit every time I think about it, let alone tell him about it. I want to continue having a healthy and happy relationship, and I know that I will have to put my big girl pants on and talk about it eventually. But honestly, I would just rather not. But I know I have to. I am about $40,000 in debt, which makes me actually want to hurl and cry while I type that out and admit the mess I've gotten myself in. The debt is a combination of student loans, canceled credit cards, and my current car payment that I am successfully paying off. My backstory to this mess is that I never came from a place where money was easy or displayed in a healthy, responsible way. My parents had me when they were young and they did everything they could for me. And I appreciate them uh, for that so much. The only thing is that I saw my parents living from paycheck to paycheck as I was growing up. So this is something I've become subconsciously uh, accustomed, accustomed to and learn from. My parents also taught me that money is something to be earned and responsible for at a young age, which is a really good thing and a huge factor to my mature mentality that I have around my career and personal successes. I applied for a student loan so that I could afford to get an education so that I could get a good job and pay off my student loan. Along the way, I made a few dumb decisions that have put myself Uh, through a lot of financial stress. The last four years felt like jumping through uh, flaming hoops one after another, and I've finally gotten to the place where I feel like I can breathe again. About eight months ago, I quit a low-paying and overly stressful job that I secured after graduation to pursue the new career path that was somewhat related to my education. This was the best decision I've ever made. The company I'm, I'm now employed at has been my savior for my mental health and financial situation. I'm making ten grand more than I was last year. I have amazing benefits, I match corporate savings programs, and to top it all off, my company is paying for me to continue my education part-time. My company has a wonderful corporate culture and they truly care about the pur- people that work there and they strongly believe in the success of the company. Uh, sorry. They strongly believe the success of the company is because of the people within that company professional development is highly encouraged here. And I find this really exciting because I've worked so hard to get where I am now. And all I want in life is to do well for myself and be financially stable. I honestly can see the light at the end of the tunnel as I continue my career here. I know that it will be possible to chip away at my debt and that I can correct my old financial habits that were never serving me well. The only thing is that I don't see this being a quick fix. I think this will take about five years or more realistically. So my answer is, how do I have this tough conversation with my boyfriend when I feel that the time is right? I would like to start a future with him and one day be able to buy a house together, but I do need some time to do some major damage control. I also don't want him to think less of me or even worse, be afraid that I'm going to somehow make my debt his problem. I don't want him to be worried about it in any way that is not helpful to me. I feel like telling him will create a lot of change in our relationship. And I'm fearful of this turning into a love triangle between me, him, and my dad. Thank you so much for taking your time to read this. It's such a difficult thing for me to open up and talk about. Any help or guidance would be very much appreciated. Yours truly, Deb T. Oh,
1: Deb. Debbie, thank you so much for writing into us. And I think that this... um but this will be something that a lot of people can relate to because turns out a lot of people have a lot of debt.
0: (laughs) I straight up like Sam and I say that we love you all, but I just want to stress like, I fucking love you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I love all of you. And Deb, I love you immediately upon reading this letter because I, all I want to do is give you a hug and tell you, how common this experience is and how not broken you are and how not of a failure you are and how mm-hmm. incredibly lovable you are, even with $40,000 in debt. Um, yeah. Yep. I, I just I was, fucking love you all so much. No,
1: honestly, I was <laughs> struck in your letter, Deb, about how much, like how much time you spent justifying why you're in debt in this yeah. letter. When yeah. I will tell you at the beginning, Sierra and I were both like, cool. Yep. 40,000. Cool.
0: Nothing. I mean, I don't it's know what it is like
1: we can talk about what type of debt it is and like what that means to pay it off and how you should what you should probably be prioritizing. But like, I just think it was it was interesting for me to read your letter and say, like, wow, Deborah really Lee feels like she needs to justify why she's in so much debt in this when it's not. Sam and I are never judging justify, how you right? got
0: there anyway. Um, and I think
1: that lots of people aren't going to judge you for how you got to that place either. Right. And I think I think that is such a weird thing because it's like because we're told all the time that it's such a horrible thing to be in. And yet Mm -hmm. we live in a society where debt is, it's impossible to avoid debt in our society. Right. Mm -hmm. Like uh, you might look at me and say like you are, I'm financially stable because I own a home and I have a car and whatever. But like, yeah, I have a car, but technically the bank owns it. uh, And I have a house, but technically the bank owns it. So like, It's not, I am also significantly in large amounts of debt and yet like by society's standards, I have achieved a level of success, even though I'm in more debt than $40,000. I'll tell you that much.
0: And I want to like zoom out for a second because like, this is like the, um, (laughs) great awakening of us, like calling out systems around us. Um, let's talk about why so many people are in debt too. Mm. not even, not even touching on capitalism, right? <laughs> not even. like not? not? Let's even... get to the
1: heart of the matter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I want to say, like, um, did you have a good financial education in your high school?
1: <laughs> no, I learned how to write a check.
0: That was it. Right, right. <laughs> um, uh, we talk about sex education in high school, and the experiences were so varying. But I think it's the same for money too. Like, um, beyond honestly being able to balance a checkbook. I was never taught about what does it mean to take out a credit card? What does Mm -hmm. it mean to budget? What does it mean to have student loans? Um, Taxes. Who the fuck (laughs) doesn't tell people like why? I'm sorry. As a self-employed person, an artist, no less who has to do my own taxes. Like it's such a, like the fact that I, the fact that I wasn't educated about this by my public, education. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a big bummer. And, um, shout out to my teachers out there. Like, I know you all cannot parent all of our children mm-hmm. and that's not what I'm asking for you. I'm asking for a systemic change in our understanding of education. Like how are we preparing young people to succeed in the world? And then let's add capitalism. The idea of why do we think we are bad when, when we are in debt, it's because we one reason or another, we are told by capitalism that we are bad people if we are lazy, if mm-hmm. we are poor, um, if we are in debt, if we don't, if we don't work every day of our lives um, in a way, like if we don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and climb up the American ladder, then we are, then we deserve to be in the socioeconomic status or, or, or whatever uh, financial problem that we are in. Um, Mm -hmm. So, to 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 tackle your letter before Sam and I tell you that you're not a bad person for having this debt. I just want to ask you to tell yourself that you know <laughs> that you're hardworking and you know that you have a plan for this debt and you understand where it came from. But even if you didn't know where it came from and you made some dumb choices and you're and you're struggling to have a, a full-time job, that doesn't make this debt um a marker of some less worthiness of you um mm-hmm. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah sorry I no, just that's just like, it's like <laughs> rant
0: about cap- capitalism for a second
1: capitalism shames us for being in debt and yet requires us to be in debt right because we are not equipped we're not paid enough <laughs> to be able to afford things that that are actually wealth building uh, we have to Wealth rely building. on, what a great on the banking systems to, in order mm-hmm. to get those things. We have to rely on systems of white supremacy in order to get those things. Because, like, I can afford a house because my parents had a house. And, like, mm. my parents afforded a house because my grandparents had a house. And my grandparents had a house because my grandfather fought in World War II and was offered a GI loan to purchase his first house in the suburbs, which was not granted to people of color. So, mm. right, like, this is all, <laughs> these are, And Ibram Kendi talks about this in um, in how to be an anti-racist, but you cannot have capitalism without racism and you cannot have racism without capitalism. Like they are just so firmly braided together um, that it is uh, that it is impossible to separate the two of them.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Um Absolutely. and anyway. as so- someone who, no we're not done yet, Sam. Okay, <laughs> As someone who just recently paid off for a credit card bill, finally, which, my darling Debbie, I accrued being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I accrued because I made poor choices, particularly in an abusive relationship in which I felt like I needed to buy that person's love. Um, mm-hmm. And that is the most disgusting like, thing that I can admit about myself, but I, I have to accept that to be true right um and i and i say that to comfort you that like we all get ourselves in situations that we're not proud of but that mm-hmm. doesn't affect our worthiness um credit card companies are fucking soulless devil business that are int- <laughs> I'm, I'm swear to god i'm so sick of them that are intentionally confusing predatory Ugh, they you think that you can chip away at things like this um but because of um their predatory fucking deals with their points and bullshit like that. And the, the interest that you accrue um, there, I, I just, I think of credit card companies as like pure evil. <laughs> <laughs> they just take it. They take an advantage of people and they keep people stuck. Um And, mm-hmm. and they're just like the most anti community thing I could ever think of. And credit card rent.
1: No. And yet,
0: you know, yeah, if, not you want to get to,
1: no, if you want to get to a point where you can uh, you can purchase a house. Right. Or if you yeah. can purchase a car, you need to have established credit. And that means that you need to get a credit card, which is just I like
0: learn about the history so of credit, up. too, because I'm sure that shit is fucking racist, too.
1: I'm like ninety nine point nine percent sure that I've read an article about how racist it is.
0: So, yeah, yeah. And, and like the foundations of it, too. Like, where where did it come? Where did this system come from? And. Um okay, sorry. Anyway.
1: <laughs> Railing <laughs> against the system. But let's talk about you, Deb.
0: <laughs> Debbie, my my darling. Um All of
1: this to say that you should not that I understand. Yeah, yeah. we just why, yelled for yeah, right. ten
0: minutes straight about.
1: Uh, I can understand why you are feeling the shame around your debt. Like and it's because this has been taught to us that debt is the marker of of a bad person, right? But we want to say to you that that you don't need to feel that shame because yeah. that's not true. You are and still a good person. Even if you made dumb decisions that got you further into debt, doesn't matter. You're still a good person. You are still worthy of love. You are still a wonderful, amazing person. Uh, and it doesn't matter that you are $40,000 in debt because money is made up anyway. So.
0: <laughs> and. <laughs> That's like the least Sam sentence ever. Like words of affirmation plus like imaginary money. What? Money is made up. It's just a no, collective I know. agreement. <laughs> uh, I Collect. That's going to be like an Instagram quote. Money is a collective agreement. <laughs> um, okay. So the other thing I wanted to say, uh, Deb, is that when I started my debt paying journey, um, A couple things. One, a lot of people in my close inner circle that I shared this with said what I'm about to say to you, which is, I think this is important. Like, Hey, congratulations, like congratulations and good for you for being brave and looking at your finances because looking Mm. at it is the first step. So Mm. welcome to this journey that we, so many people are on. Um, I'm really fucking proud of you. The other thing I want to say is when I like decided to tackle my money, shame, and my debt. A huge part of that was because I, um, excuse me, like a huge motivator for that. Once I said, yes, this is what I'm going to do. Something like that fueled me was the fact that the more I talked about it, granted, I'm like a chronic oversharer, but the more I talked about it with my friends and my inner circle, the more I realized everyone is in debt, that Every single one of my loved ones had a some amount of debt, whether it would be $150,000 in student loans mm-hmm. or it was uh, $5,000 on an old credit card that they had never that they are dealing with now, or maybe it was $30,000 on their house and car or whatever, mm-hmm. like that every single person I was close to has de- debt. And that is the, for me, it was so healing to realize that I wasn't a broken idiotic person for having <laughs> debt, that I was actually in the majority. So Sam and I said that in so many words, but I just earlier, but I just want to say that, that like mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, have debt. Um, the second boyfriend uh, probably has debt. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just you, like, just going to call it out. You
0: whispering is my new favorite aesthetic for this podcast. <laughs> you creepy ASMR ghost. <laughs> um, your okay. boyfriend
1: probably has debt, Like, yeah, let's be honest sure. about it because most of us do have it.
0: And I want to say too, the number of your debt, yeah, that is very large and intimidating, but that is not the largest number I've heard in the last year. And that is totally it is um, yep. I, a word. Yes, tackleable. It <laughs> is tackleable. I, yes. It's a tackleable box. Get it? Tackle box. Okay. We got to fucking focus because <laughs> uh-huh. this, is the every, this is what happens every time we don't record for like two weeks is that we're like, right. um, we're all over the place. So, but okay. So I have had to talk about my debt with two major relationships. I have, I have had to say, I love you so much. This is going so well. There's a part of me that I'm incredibly ashamed of. And I need to like, I need to come out to you in a way as like a debt Mm -hmm. owner. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to like see you and empower you in that moment and know that that is a huge moment um, and a scary one for you. And I also want to disempower that moment and say, This is just like every other moment of intimate sharing with your partner because Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with having debt. So how you can have this conversation is the way you would have any other important conversation in your relationship. You would set out a time for it. You would make sure that he wasn't distracted or in um, like dealing with other things at the same time. And you would support yourself. You would would do self-care practices on yourself, make sure that, um, you know, that what you want to say, sometimes I like when I'm nervous, when I like came out to my dad, I like wrote myself little notes of things that I wanted to say, because mm-hmm. I knew that my anxiety would take over my communicative brain and I would lose all, um, ability to like say what I wanted to say. So you can like write little notes to yourself. Um, and I know that people appreciate when we give you little scripts. I think that something like this could, could, I think this could go something like, um, I really love you. And I've really loved this relationship Um I want to share something about myself that I haven't shared yet because I'm deeply ashamed of it, but I'm really working on not being ashamed and instead being proactive about it. And I want to include you in on this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, Deb, to your point, like that you don't want him to feel bad or feel stressed out that it's going to be his debt. You can articulate all of that, but make sure you're articulating it in a way that serves you too. Like, mm-hmm. I I want to bring you into this, ex- this experience, not because I want you to fix it for me, but because I want you to know who I truly am. Um, and I'm really working on not judging myself for this. Um, and instead being proactive to build the financial future that I want. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is like kind of hella sexy to me.
1: (laughs) Honestly, I think it's like, from my perspective, having someone say that to me would be so affirming that they trust me with that information and that they're invested in the future of our relationship to like say, Hey, you know, we are embarking on something that I see as long-term and I think it's important that you know this about me so that we can both go into our decision-making around finances with this knowledge, right? Because mm. otherwise he might be under this, uh, this idea that, you know, you're going to be able to, to put all of this money into a new house or, um, that your credit is really good. And so like, you can both sign on a mortgage and buy a bigger house than, than he would be able to afford it on himself by himself. Um, and I don't think that, that your debt is going to like detract from that, but I do think it helps both of you make informed decisions about what your financial future looks like. And that's super important because you are, you are coming together, right? You are going to begin to be braiding your finances, even if you keep them separate, right? Because living together involves finances that are coming together in some way. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and I think, I think that he will appreciate being, in the know about what the situation is so that you both can make the best decisions for both of you, given the circumstances that you're both in. And I will say to you, like, even though you're $40,000 in debt, like there are ways that you and he can figure out things to do so that that debt doesn't have any impact on him or on the things that he's trying to do, like buy a house or whatever that is. Right. Um, You can figure that out. There are a multitude of different, of different options. And I think, I think we've been taught that, or at least I was taught, right? Because of the way that my parents lived their life was that like, Oh no, when you get together, your finances come together, everyone shares everything. Um, you have joint checking accounts. You're both of your names are on the mortgage. Like all of your money goes into one pot. And the reality is, is that doesn't have to be what your financial future looks like. Right. Um, It could be that he's the only one on the mortgage. It could be that you're both on the mortgage or it could be that he's like, cool, let's work on paying down your debt first and get to the point where we can buy a house, right? There are a multitude of different options available to you, but you can't have any of those options until you talk about it, frankly and honestly with him. And I
0: absolutely,
1: and you can do it. It's just like having any other conversation about something that you are feeling shame about, whether or not that shame is justified. Um, And I think I think that he will respond well to it. And I, because I mm-hmm. think that most people know that everyone, <laughs> everyone comes into a relationship with some debt. And if you don't know that, you are learning it right now. Because let me tell you, <laughs> every person that I've dated has had debt of some sort.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but of course, we need to um, leave you with a couple tools about, uh, you know, financial freedom, budgeting. Uh, dealing with that, um, in addition to the program called You Need a Budget, or YNAB for short, which helped me uh, get debt-free over the last 18 months or so, um, I also just recently started to um, follow the work of three amazing um, Black uh, women who are financial planners on Instagram and who just like all of our other like favorite self-help people, you know, who share quotes and stuff like who share um, all of this great financial knowledge. And my big thing for you Deb is like, if you want this to be a part of your, uh, of your future, it takes a little effort every day. Right. Mm -hmm. It really sucks. But to be, to be to, to give yourself financial freedom. If we think about that word freedom, like what does it mean to be free? We have to start breaking down our understanding of money, debt, how we handle finances every day, a little every day. So I've really been enjoying the content of uh, these are all Instagram accounts um, of Journey to Launch, all one word, um, and as well as Make Real Sense. All one word, like make real sense, as in like money cents, and the budget um, nista, the budget nista n i s t a, all one word on Instagram. Um, yeah, uh, I I really enjoyed having all of their content in my Instagram feed, so that when I'm sitting down lazy, uh, not lazy, when I'm sitting down relaxing on a random afternoon, scrolling through Instagram, I don't just see. Uh, my friends and family and my mental health reminders. I see reminders about how to be money minded in a way that empowers me Mm. and um, empowers the communities around me. Absolutely. That's great. Thanks. You should check them out. You would really like them too.
1: Yeah. I Um, got my start in doing financial support for folks um, and like just realized, I think having to do that uh, in partnership with other people, Um, Taught me how fucked up the financial system is.
0: Oh, my God. And at the same time
1: taught me like, oh, it's really not that it's really not that challenging to to think about ways that you can you can do finances in a way that benefits you.
0: Like you can you can
1: take out that credit card and pay it off every month and like, right, instead of what I think I would have done if I were twenty-one years old, and not had right. this opportunity to learn about this, which would have been like, "Oh, credit card, cool! I've got a ten thousand dollars limit. That means that's ten thousand dollars in free money." Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally. Um, uh, I also want to add that Journey to Launch is a podcast too. Um, oh, cool. It's one of the Instagram accounts, um, and that I listened to the first episode uh, like a week ago when I was when I was dealing with my debt. Um, Cool. Well, uh, Deb, we hope that this helps. Um, And to anybody out there right now feeling money, shame, and anxiety, um, we see you um, and we acknowledge all that you're processing right now. You can do it. You can um, face this shame and disempower it. Cool. Deb, we love you. Thank you so much for writing.
1: Thank you for writing.
0: Love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because <laughs> love it. <laughs> honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it.
1: Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 five-day returns quince.com slash just break up
0: all right head and heart workers you know i'm all about tackling our money shame
1: use the middle person. <laughs> Just get rocket money in there to help you do what you need to do.
0: Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com/justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com/justbreakup. rocketmoney.com/justbreakup.
1: All right, our next letter comes from Nicole who is writing from anxious ast- attachment styleville which is Sierra's the, town the, where I was yeah, born. Sierra's the mayor of that one. <laughs> uh, salutations, Sam and Sierra. I threw in some alliteration there for my fellow English majors. <laughs> Firstly, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your experiences and advice. Your honesty and vulnerability is not only endearing, but more comforting than, you know, and I have recommended this podcast to literally everyone. I am a cishet woman in my early 20s, and I've been in a relationship with my cishet boyfriend for going on eight months. He is one of the most self-aware, considerate, kind, and verbally affectionate, hey-yo, men I have ever mm-hmm. met, let alone dated. And in almost all ways, we are happy, healthy, and comfortable together. From For some background on me and the way I function, I have a history of childhood sexual abuse, and I have been sexually harassed and assaulted by multiple men in adulthood. I've been in counseling for many years to help me deal with this and other things. Can I get a hell yeah for parental abandonment? And it doesn't affect me in much in the day to day. Mostly it manifests in that my brain unconsciously compartmentalizes normal time and sexy time. And because of the mental and emotional effort it takes to work through that, I don't have a very high sex drive. Luckily for me, I found a wonderful unicorn man who doesn't have a high sex drive either. Still, it happens pretty frequently that I'm in the mood when he isn't. In a previous episode, Sam talked about his relationship with sex, and it reminded me a lot of the conversations I have with my boyfriend. He told me that he likes sex and fully enjoys having it, but it isn't something he thinks about that often, and he really doesn't feel the need to have sex more than once or maybe twice a week. He has also said that this is never because he isn't as sexually attracted to me. It's just that he thinks I'm beautiful, like a classical piece of art. Seriously, where does he even come from? And he doesn't really get sexual feelings at those times, which objectively makes sense to me. Any issues surrounding our sex life stem from my anxious attachment style than anything. Surprise, surprise. Realistically, having sex once or twice a week isn't infrequent. It, I think it just feels that way because I know my sex drive is higher than his and it makes me anxious. As much head and heart work as I've done, and am still doing... It's hard not to feel like rejection when I want to have sex and my boyfriend doesn't logical brain knows that he's just tired or stressed or enjoying my company in a different way. Reactive brain on the other hand is often the corner shouting things like, hi, yes. Do you remember that time your ex didn't want to have sex with you anymore because he stopped loving you. And then he broke up with you two weeks later. My point being it takes a lot of self-soothing and active emotional work In those moments to keep myself from spiraling and I don't want him to feel like he needs to validate me, although I know he would if I asked. There is also the added complication that he's dated women before who didn't respect that he couldn't always perform and didn't want to when they wanted to. And I know it will be hard for him to speak his truth when we're not in the same headspace. Sometimes I'll ask if he would be willing to swap non-sexual back rubs. I can't do sexual back rubs because of trauma or play with my hair instead. And I can see that he's relieved, but I also don't want him to feel like he owes me something for not wanting sexy time. So I don't always do that. I know this is probably a little disorganized. Sorry, folks, I didn't make an outline. But it's all <laughs> to say that I have a lot of anxiety about this and I don't want to give any of it to my boyfriend who is beautiful and good and already has too much of his own. I feel like you might each be uniquely qualified to speak to this issue and wondered if you might have any advice for how to redirect thoughts or validate yourself in moments when you want to be sexually intimate and your partner isn't in a place to reciprocate that. All experience and honesty are entirely welcome. In the meantime, I'll be throwing down with my reactive brain out here in anxious attachment style, Thank you for
0: everything. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for writing. Um, I think that the heart of this letter is something that particularly a lot of people have struggled with, struggled with during quarantine, mm-hmm. um, that it's like us anxious attachment folks, we have more time with our significant others if we're partnered. Um, and so we're more sensitive to the, well, what does this mean? Sort of anxious mind spiral that happens um, that Nicole talked about here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to focus n- not on just, Sex, because this isn't just about sex. This is about, as Nicole writes, being able to talk to, th- talk to their reactive brain um, and, and have it feel honored and, and acknowledged while also not in the driver's seat, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, so just remind me, like, do you relate to that type of inner struggle? Like, is that something that you navigate? I know it is in some ways, but you're not an anxiously attached person.
1: Um, no, I mean, I have for sure been in times when I, um, when I, when like an action or an anxious attachment style does come out. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot around sex, because I think that there's so much shame that is involved in sex we've been taught so much shame about sex, um, that it becomes like really heightened and really triggers anxieties, at least for me, um, And part understanding
0: of desire and desirability. It's so complicated
1: for sure. Um, and also like, I think sex is where I've been taught that I'm most broken. Um, and I think Mm -hmm. it's probably where a lot of us are taught that we are (laughs) most broken.
0: Mm, Um, Wow. That's a great. And I found statement.
1: And then I think, um, I think I relate to you like, Nicole, I'm more your boyfriend in this situation because I like, you know, don't (laughs) like to have a lot of sex. Uh, but i i do feel um i do feel like this idea that i think is permeating your letter of like a level of brokenness that you don't want to put onto your partner um hmm. is really is really striking for me um because i think like you are not broken um i know that you that you have a lot of stuff around sex in your head that, that you are working through actively, but it doesn't mean that you are broken, that you are putting that brokenness on your partner. Um, And you are allowed to ask for what you want um, Mm -hmm. and to ask for it whenever you want it. Right. Like you are, it it is not that you are um, somehow burdening him with your brokenness, When you Mm. ask him for, to be physically intimate with you, you are not right. Like that is something that, that, that you are absolutely entitled to ask for in your relationship because you want to be physically intimate with this person that you love. And I, and I feel a lot of you being like, I'm the broken one. I'm the broken one in here. But the reality is, is that we, all of us in relationships are broken people coming together and trying to make things work. Right. Mm -hmm. You are not the most broken one in this relationship. You are both equally imperfect. You are both equally trying as hard as you both can. And it doesn't mean that you need to take on the burden of fixing all of these problems, right? It just means that you two are need to come together and figure out how to move forward in this.
0: Hmm. I'm glad you framed it like that because it is an interesting line to like walk between and, and people have DM'd us about this, like personal accountability to growth. Mm-hmm. And getting what we want, mm-hmm. right? Because, and I, like you said, I, I like that you validated that it's like, it's okay for Nicole to want sex. <laughs> it's And and maybe it's, it, we should normalize. It's okay for our partners to want, for us and our partners to have different sexual desires and Absolutely. needs, right? Yep. Like that. And that that does not necessarily equate an A, an incompatibility or B, a problem. You mm-hmm. know, just because I want to have sex when Willow doesn't want to have sex doesn't mean that our relationship is failing. You No, know?
1: it just um, means that you want to have sex and she doesn't and that there are yeah. multiple options for both yeah. of you to like find something that works for you in those moments.
0: Yeah, so I I want to uplift what Sam said about like maybe let's strengthen whatever muscle is utilized when you decide to actually vocalize your desires um i think that in it's funny cuz in 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 the world of um really uplifting consent and uplifting um each of our own traumas and our understandings of where we're coming from um we sometimes get almost too much in our head about analyzing what is the right move to make, you know, not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be thinking, well, it's not even a conversation about consent, right. But in that, in that world in which we are thinking about a sex and, Intimacy in, 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 through a consent lens, we want to make sure that we're always moving through this world, um, uh, in a, in a pro consent way. Uh Um, and sometimes when we, when we are trying to navigate our partner's traumas and our own traumas, um, in that world we can get caught in the negotiation of it in our own minds before Mm. we even bring that desire to the forefront you know before we even say like i want to have sex do you want to have sex you know (laughs) um uh because it's it is such a triggering sticky sticky place for a lot of people um and uh yeah so So we just want to see you in that space and say that this might be like a less complicated, but also just as complicated thing that you unfolded here. For sure. I also want to uplift you for trying to navigate your reactionary brain and trying to negotiate between those two voices of like, I know these things to be true. um, And your reactionary voice, which is like, ah, he's going to leave me. Um, (laughs) As I said, in like a couple, like at our most recent live um, show that was recorded in April sometime, um, I've been working on, um, speaking to that voice by recognizing that that voice is what we can imagine as like a broken, um, not broken because we just, uh, ejected that word today. (laughs) Um, but that as a hurting, a hurting child in me saying I, you know, and, and Nicole, your hurting child is saying, um, you know, I had abandonment issues with my parents my partner left me in the past. I'm afraid I'm going to be left again. Help me, help me, help me. You know, that's what that inner child is saying. Uh-huh. Um, so I want to just say that there is like, maybe we can separate the issues just a little that, that it's okay for adult Nicole to want and ask for sex. And it's also um, okay for adult no- Nicole to comfort hurting inner child, Nicole, who is afraid that she's going to be left. And what does that inner child want to hear? I love you. I'm never going to leave you and you're safe with me. Right. Mm -hmm. And once we start to tackle, once we start to approach our, our inner wounds, um, as our own parents and, and, and the idea of, um, self-parenting is very new to me. So, and I love it, but I'm, I, I may not speak very eloquently about it. Um, as soon as we try to, As soon as we start to parent our own inner wounds, that reactionary scared child in us um, feels safer and feels like it doesn't need to be scream to, to scream so much to be heard anymore. Yeah. So I wonder if there is a way for you moving forward to acknowledge that inner child and say, you're safe with me. I've got you. I hear you worrying, but I'm not going to leave you. And I'm also going to honor my desires by vocalizing to my partner that I'm interested in intimacy with him.
1: Mm-hmm. i have struggled with the concept of reparenting. And I feel like the way that you just said it, like made it all click for me. So I appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Oh, good. I'm so glad (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, I, I similarly it's, I've known about it, but I feel like I, I am still learning about it and I'm, I'm very interested in it because I think it is, a really crucial tool to talking to our wounds and to mm-hmm. talking to, and to being our authentic selves. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we are, we struggle to be our authentic selves when we let the hurt parts of us speak for us. You yeah. Know?
1: Yeah. And I feel like I always thought of it as like, Oh, I'm going to teach the things I'm going to teach myself the things that my parents didn't. But the idea oh. of like, no, I'm going to show up for myself in the way that my parents did oh, it. Oh
0: yeah, it's way more the show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's which I it's love. way more of and, and it's 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 the idea of giving yourself what you didn't get as a child, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like if you didn't get. Um, praise as a child, then your reparenting looks like you praising yourself and tell what a good job you do. Oh my God. You did such a good job making that dinner or drawing that picture. Wow. You are so creative and so smart. And I love watching you learn, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway. That's great.
1: So, so I can cool, tell I'm myself that my emotions are valid and that they're not, <laughs> that they're <yeah>. not unimportant.
0: <laughs> yeah. What well, and, and, and I also like, The other thing about reparenting that I'm intrinsically drawn to, and again, I may not be able to speak very clearly about this, but um, is that you, it gives you permission to speak to yourself as a child. It's Mm -hmm. not just, Sam, your feelings are important um, and valid and, you know, it's, oh, Sam, I see that you're hurting that must've been really scary or it must be really hard to carry all these feelings. You know, like, mm-hmm. and I think we, as adults, we forget that we sometimes we need just such the simple level of love and accept- acceptance. You said earlier to be seen, right. Uh, to to be um, fulfilled and seen those statements so often come from such pure, like basic level statements. Like, I love you. I I see that you're hurting, you know, like what I would do to little Sam is like, give him a hug and tell him like how brave he is for feeling all those feelings, you know? Um, shut up.
1: <laughs> no, that's great. It's just like, that's so funny because like, I love my parents, both of my parents to death, but that was not my experience. <laughs> Yeah. No one <laughs> well, held me they, they, and said it's. It must be scary to feel those things. I was yeah. still better than a sharp stick in the eye. So
0: it's <laughs> <laughs> not the first time you've quoted that. <laughs> um. Anyway, excited to hear about your journey into re yourself, Sam. Um. Nicole. Um. I. I think Sam and I could go into more things about sexual compatibility and all these things, but I think we've touched on a lot of important things that. Frankly, I don't think we've touched on before um sure. so I hope that this gives you some strength and direction in approaching this um this in yourself and in your relationship um like Sam said, you're not broken um you are navigating something that's really nuanced, um but you're doing it the best you can, and now hopefully you have a little bit more a couple more tools in your tool belt so.
1: Yes. And I would say just one piece of advice that I think has been really helpful for me, um, in the past is, um, is communicating to your partner that it's not just that it's not just about sex. It's about like physical intimacy, right? Mm. Like I want to have sex with you because like, yes, I am sexually attracted to you, but I also want to have sex with you because I want to be physically intimate. So if we, if you're not in the mood to have sex, are there other things that we can do to be physically intimate together, which I think your your back rubs and your, your playing with your hair are like great examples.
0: Bathtubs, naked bathtubs. Remember. Yes,
1: honestly. And also, like, I want to talk. I could t- spend a whole episode talking about normalizing naked time, uh, oh, which yeah. is like a real challenge for me. Yeah. Um, but I think that those like saying those things of like, oh, you don't want to have sex. OK, that's great. I would still love to to share some physical intimacy right now. Would mm. you be OK with like cuddling for a little bit or would you want to play with my hair? Because you are you are um, you are allowed to ask for sex. You are also allowed to ask for that physical intimacy that you need. Um, and he is allowed to say no to to one or both of those mm. things. Right. Um, and I think but I think you're not going to get what you need unless you ask for it. And I don't want you to preemptively say, he's going to say no, so I'm not going to ask. And instead say, like, I hope that he says yes. And I hope that I can phrase this in a way that um, that affirms the, what I'm asking for and affirms the things that I need without putting undue pressure on him. Because just given your letter, girl, you're not putting undue pressure on him. Like, you are so mm-hmm. you are so focused on him and what his needs are in this letter that my guess is, is that you are not going to put any undue pressure on him to to be physically intimate with you.
0: Absolutely. Nicole, thank you so much for writing and we hope this helps.
1: Thank you so much. We love you.
0: Our last letter is from (laughs) the fearful avoidant weirdo. (laughs) Who is writing to us from the void. Hi, Sam and Sierra. Thank you so much for your podcast. I've rarely seen such vulnerable, authentic, and instructive space than the one you have been sharing with your listeners. Today, I'm writing because I feel stuck, and I would love to have your take on this, as well as some tough love. I am 31 years old, and I find it so freaking hard to bond with people it looked way easier when i was younger but then i spent my 20s between a long love best friend relationship and a job that i loved in which i have thrown myself into workaholic style i got so deep into these things that i lost touch with all of my other friends two years ago my relationship ended and i realized i didn't want to give my whole time to work anymore The problem being, apart from these two pillars, I didn't have anyone around. At first, I thought it was okay. I was confident about rebuilding a social circle. So I started working with therapists on past traumas. I reached out to old friends and participated in several meetups, went on dating apps, tried to get closer to work colleagues, but all of it seemed to stay on the surface. Every time I reach out to people, it always feels like they're already, they already have their life going on with either their jobs, their group of friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, spouse, children, insert whatever fits here. And that I was one, the one engaging without much reciprocity. I rarely got calls back, even less about getting invited to drinks up to a point where I leave them be when it seems that I'm just a creepy one at over asking for closeness. I've also had a few hookups, but I either get attached to emotionally unavailable men when it, where I end up being the one texting and waiting 200 years for them to answer. Or I find people that want sex right away and I'm kind of a slow burner. I like the idea of becoming friends before or at least having an emotional connection. Am I weird in these in this Tinder era? Or again, I discuss with men until... Uh, Until realizing our values are way too different The last one revealed after two months that he didn't believe in trans people Whatever that means and that he believes racist jokes are fun Help I don't know what to do. I feel it feels like I either need to overwork to create a true connection or that I just let it go and end up being the weird solo friend that you invite once a year out of pity even when she can talk about the last Netflix she can only talk about the last Netflix show she binged. I realize that I might be doing something wrong. Also, I'm fighting against my fearful avoidant attachment style which makes me believe that I need to earn love and shut down people at any sign of uh, rejection. So the social lines are quite blurry to me as I don't always know what what is reality and what is created in my own mind. So how do you build new bonds in your 30s when everyone seems to already have a busy life? How to know when you are overstepping and being needy versus being your avoidant self? How not to think that everyone is so specific at our age that it's nearly impossible to find someone new to quote click with? And how to find someone when you're a slow dater and need time before moving to second base. Thank you for reading this. You're both awesome. Thank you so much for uh, writing the fearful, weird, avoidant weirdo. What, what can we call it? Um, what the? Weirdo. <laughs> yeah. All right, weirdo, my darling. <clears throat> I love this letter. Um, as a 30-something, actually newly 30, what am I? 34. Yes. Okay. God. Oh, God. When I was a child, I, when I was a child, I thought it was like so preposterous that my parents never remembered how old they were, That they'd be like, oh, I'm 40 something, something, or wait, am I, and I, you know, like as a six-year-old, I'm like, how, what idiots, you know, like, <laughs> how, how can they not remember? But now I, I second guess my age constantly. Anyway, as a newly 34, right? I'm 34. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I was really second-guessing myself. As a new, newly 34 person I uh, in a new city too, I feel a uh, great um, affinity for this letter because it is so hard to make new friends in your 30s. And I don't say this to like threaten people in their 20s. Um, and I don't say this to make people feel even more lonely. I, I just like... I really feel this. I think that there's something about the time of your life in your thirties, particularly when a lot of people are focusing on their careers or their houses or building their, or their, their uh, families. And more importantly, and this is true for me, I feel like my most authentic self now. So I'm more protective of my time and my energy. And I have more specific standards for the people I want to hang out with. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the twenties, my twenties, I was friends with a, bunch of people that like I probably wouldn't consider being close to now um it's just hard to feel to break into that closeness I guess um do you experience this
1: um I do I think I'm lucky to have a friend group that um that have we've been friends for (laughs) a long time um, which is really great, but I do think that like that getting older really means also understanding that your friend group is gonna change mm-hmm. um and that people will people will understandably become more fixated on things that aren't maintaining their friendships with other people and more focused on um the yard work that they need to do or the children that mm-hmm. they want to have or whatever all of that is, and really coming to terms with the fact that like my twenties were really defined by being really social with a group of people um, and like hanging out with them all the time and really sort of defining myself by my relationships with them. Um, Like, you know, being that person that's like, Oh, I would do anything for my friends. Like my friends are my family right? to a certain extent. Like my friends still are my family, but our relationships have definitely changed from those times when we would just like all get dinner together, go out dancing or, um, you know, spend time at a bonfire or whatever it is. And then changing it to be like, no, we still love and appreciate each other, but we have to do it from a distance because we have other priorities in our lives right now.
0: Mm. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think this is a little bit of a call out for me too. Um, and for fellow, uh, fellow folks with, with their life, their lives feeling pretty set right now. And I don't just mean like, um, I don't mean perfect or, or full. I just mean even me, like I, I was thinking about the question you asked at the beginning of the episode, like, what did I do to take care of myself? Um, I, Willow and I had, uh, social plans like yours to go sit in somebody's, um, driveway, social distancing on Friday, Um, and I chose to stay at home and do work by myself because I wanted, I, because I had been struggling with anxiety and I chose not to, um, work on expanding my social circle with these new people. And instead I chose my own comfort and self-care, which we can like debate the pros and cons of that. Like I needed that. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. Right. And, and a younger version of me would not have been able to recognize that I needed that. Um, they, I wouldn't have been able to prioritize myself, but at the same time, as we get older, I think we are less likely to put ourselves in situations of newness, um, Mm -hmm. and invest in newness. And that's my call out there is that like, um, as somebody who craves connection and craves community, um, I need to make sure that I'm opening myself up to that. Um, because I, I think that we can be really content with our circles, you know? And which is also real because like the letter writer says, like people have jobs and schedules and families. Like it, it's such a hard, I feel like this is this letter touches on something that is an unfortunate hard truth. Like it mm-hmm. is harder to make friends as you get older. It, the, the setting is the stage is just not set for it the same way it was in your twenties. Um, so how can we combat that? A uh, Lots of people have tried um, like Tinder for friendships uh-huh. Um, and I have found that to be unsuccessful <laughs> <laughs> because it's just not what it was built for, you know, um, at least I, I haven't, you know, and also as a bisexual person, you know, who is attracted to, uh, m- more than two genders, right. Um, i It was hard for me to navigate to be like, I'm looking for friends, but also I would date any of you, (laughs) which is, wait, that's like a, that's like a biphobic joke that I'm going to take back immediately because I wouldn't date all of them because I have different attractions. But, um, anyway, calling myself (laughs) out left and right.
1: Um, yeah, I think it's probably also hard for you, weirdo, like you say in your letter because of your attachment style and like. I can totally empathize with this, this idea of like, is this person just being withholding or am I like being so clingy that I'm forcing them to be withholding? Mm. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah.
0: How would you navigate this or that, that sensation right there?
1: uh, I would remind myself that whether or not this person likes me has no bearing on who I am as a person.
0: But how would you challenge yourself to like stay in it and not, uh, withdraw if, if, if the line wasn't a hundred percent clear, because also the letter writer is like, I don't know what's real. If it's like my defensiveness or like my desire not to be hurt or if this person is, is really giving me signs, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would, I, th- I would just, I would tell myself like this person, whether or not this person likes you or wants to be friends with you has nothing to do Mm -hmm. with you as a person. Uh, and so how many times am I comfortable reaching out to this person and having them not respond to me? Right. Like I think Mm. coming at it from a place of confidence and a place of, I am worthy of this person's friendship, whether or not they want to give it to me, um, Mm. because I am worthy of friendship in general, because I am a, 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 a person <laughs> uh, who has inherited a
0: person, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep.
1: Uh, then se- then equips me to be able to say like, and also this person isn't giving me enough time and attention. And I, and I'm okay with the fact that I will take a step away from that. Right. And I think that coming at it from a place of confidence in yourself allows mm-hmm. you to be more discerning about whether or not this person is avoiding you or is busy and is still worth the time and effort it takes to put into a relationship with them. And that's Mm -hmm. easier to say when you are in a place of, of abundance. Um, But I think at the end of the day, that's what, what needs to, to happen. Because if you, um, once you are in that mindset where the person, where you can free yourself from the expectations of needing that person to, to love you back in order to feel validated, um, then you can make decisions about how you can make more clear headed decisions about how that person is, is responding to you and whether or not that the behavior that they're giving you, it works for you or it doesn't work for you.
0: And maybe like expanding on that just a little or like continuing that, I just had the thought too, that I wonder if I am doing myself a disservice by thinking that the same rules of engagement that I applied in my twenties are, are going to be the same that work in my thirties. Like, in fact, if I want to have a a connection with somebody, if I want to form a real connection with somebody, I might have to be a little bit more, not aggressive. That's the wrong word, but persistent, or I might have to um, send the first text regularly in a way that I wouldn't when I was younger, um, that, that, that maybe just like rethinking our social engagement rules in our thirties when, when, when connection is so hard to find. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's real. And I think it applies to not just in your thirties, but in your twenties too. Right. Totally. Um, I think that sometimes, we have this idea of like, well, I'm always the first person to start the conversation. Mm. And sometimes that happens because we've, that's just the way things have been happening. Right. Like I was just talking to a friend about this who is like, I'm struggling because I really feel like I'm the one that always has to initiate like the hangouts. Like I'm the one that always has to do it. And I was like, I appreciate that hundred percent, but you have also always been the one to do it. Right. So now it's just Mm -hmm. this unspoken expectation that you're always Mm -hmm. the one that goes. So like, thank you for telling me that. And I will make sure to reach out to you more so that I don't, so that you don't have to initiate and I can, but I just thought that you liked to do it. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think, so I think that there's like, I think that there are, especially in friendships, especially in new friendships, there are unspoken, Rules because there are so few rules around friendships, like our understanding of friendships is so much more anemic than our understanding of like Mm -hmm. relationships Um, that sometimes we just have to like understand that the people's that sometimes people's motivations are not what we think that they are and that sometimes we read into them too much. So if you're always the one that's initiating the conversation, maybe it's just because you've always been the one to initiate the conversation And it's Mm -hmm. not about the person not thinking about you or not liking you. It's just that this person is like, oh, cool. I know that weirdo is going to text me today because weirdo texts me every day. So I'm just expecting it. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. And that that's actually
1: okay. Like if that's the way that your relationship works, that's okay. You can always be the one the first one to text. It doesn't make you weird or needy. It just means that that's like how the, the roles in the relationship have shaken out.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely, I think that's a beautiful way to say it. Um, in closing, weirdo, I think Sam and I want to to add to everything we've just said that like we see you and w- we hear you and and we acknowledge the the difficulty that is here um, and mm-hmm. that it is a particular pain to feel disconnected and lonely. Um, that that is a pain that um, I. I wouldn't wish on anyone. Um, And uh, we wish you connection and we wish you um, friendships and relationships. Um, But in this moment, Sam and I see you and and we are connected to you. So hopefully you feel some of that connection um, out in the world where you are. So thank you so much for writing. We love you. All right. That wraps up this episode and brings us to the blind date segment of our show. Every episode we want to shout out something we love that we want to set you up with this week. We're going to send you home with.
1: A documentary called the death and life of Marsha P. Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is available on Netflix for folks that have Netflix. Um, but it is a documentary um, that follows a trans woman named Victoria Cruz, who was um a friend and um, yeah, a friend of uh, Marsha P Johnson um, and sort of follows the, the life and death of, of Martha or sorry, Marsha um, who is uh, as we said, sort of the instigator of the Stonewall riots and then um, was really roundly rejected and cast out of the activism that followed um, because of uh, her gender identity and uh The color of her skin, right? So, um, it's a it is a remarkable story. The story of her life is remarkable and beautiful, um, and it is also very sad. Um, But I think it is such an important thing for us to be watching or watching right now um, in this time of pride and in this time of of civil unrest around issues uh, surrounding uh, race and surrounding uh, trans folks. Um, And I just think it's a it was a really informative documentary for me to watch. Um, because my understanding of Stonewall and the um the activism that followed Stonewall was was really rewritten in my understanding of this wonderful mm. person who did so much work for the movement and in the end um you know died in a tragic way and in a way that was um incredibly lonely. So um mm. well check it out. It's the the death and life of Marsha P. Washington. It's available on Netflix. I love that. All right, everyone that brings us to the end of our episode. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at just break up pod.
0: You can slide into our DM, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at just break which is also where you can find our merchandise.
1: That's right. Please remember to give us a five-star rating and review and you can also uh, support us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for uh, at as little as $5 a month, you will get an additional bonus weekly episode as well as other goodies for higher levels. Uh, that's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally helps us keep the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice
0: original music recording and producing by our friend big cats make sure to check out his podcast the what if podcast and remember today and every day you can choose to live in such a way that better aligns your current values to the future that choice always manifests in the now with each decision that you make every step every hard conversation you move closer to the world you want to live in be bold in the now for the benefit of the future. And if all else fails,
1: just break up.